Thank you, Holly, and thank you, Kevin. For those of you tuning in for the first time, my name is Mike. Welcome to I Do the Numbers, and for those of you uh, who already listened to our launch episode on Take-Two Interactive. Welcome back. Today we will skip the intro, we will dive right in. Uh, before that, perhaps just a few remarks uh, on our website, idothenumbers.com. If you go there and you click on the reports section, what you will find is a free PDF download, a 10 to 15 page summary of the analysis we do on each company. You can simply navigate to the page, Click on the link and you will download a PDF for free. You don't need to provide any personal information. You don't need to pay anything. Uh, this is just a nice, let's say, gesture from us to make sure that you not only enjoy this podcast, but you have actual written information that you can use to complement your research on companies and your um, investment decision should you, should you decide to invest. Okay, we will continue video game weeks here at I Do The Numbers. Today, we will talk about Ubisoft. Entertainment Société Anonyme from France. And if you consider investing in this company, I think it's it's fair uh, to know how to actually pronounce their name. And since there has been a dispute now for quite a while, I went online, I found a nice little corporate video where they ask their own employees, how do you pronounce the company name? And this is what they had to say. Let's take a listen. Ubisoft. Ubisoft. Ubisoft, or is it Ubisoft? Ubisoft. It's easy, Ubisoft. 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 With the B. Uh, Ubisoft. Apparently, it's entirely up to you. Um, you will probably hear me say Ubisoft quite a lot instead of Ubisoft. That's just my personal choice. Call them whatever you like. Good. Let's start with who they are and where they come from. If you go on YouTube, there is a very nice interview, um, I think, done by IGN with the, the company's CEO and one of the co-founders. His name is Yves Guimot. He's actually one of five brothers who founded Ubisoft back in 1986. And he talks a little bit about the history of the company and how it all came to be. Uh, a very timid, very nice man. So if you if you want to to listen to what he has to say on the background of the company, I think this is a good place to start. Otherwise, I will just cover the main milestones here. And we will also hear from Eve later today uh, when he talks about a particular part of Ubisoft's business that I want to address. Now, as I said, 1986, the five Goemo brothers, they grew up on a farm. The farm wasn't doing too well, apparently, or it was a farming business, not a farm per se. And uh, they decided, well, it's, it's the mid-80s. Why not start a video game company? Uh, quite risky at the time, certainly uncommon in particular if you grew up in the farming business. But they did. They launched the company in 1986. And to this day, these five brothers and co-founders of the company are still running the show. They Today, they only own only, you know, 18.5%, but they still, um, they still occupy the key management positions in the company. 1986 was when it all started. Uh, they, they continued to develop uh, first games and, and release them, and I guess the first major success came 
1995, so roughly nine years after the company was established with the release of Rayman, which can be considered the company's first major franchise. A year after that, they, they went public in Paris, where, where the stock is still trading today. Major milestone came then in the early 2000s, in particular 2000 and 2001. They made their first two major acquisitions. The first one was of Red Storm Entertainment, a company from the U.S., which um, which they swallowed up, including the the now famous Tom Clancy's gaming IPs. I think they it took a while before they actually took over the IPs outright, but this is when it all started when they started. Uh, with Red Storm Entertainment to to venture into the Tom Clancy's franchise. In 2001, they, they then acquired Blue Byte Software, known for the Settler series, which was one of the first, let's say, very popular um, games where you where you had to build an economy, you had to build a little nice little world. And it was it was well well received back then. I remember that I was one of the people actually owning one of the first Settlers games. Then um, you know the acquisition mode continued over the years. They bought additional uh, video game studios, for example, Massive Entertainment or Nadeo, um, broadening their base, reaching out into other countries. Uh, before in 2011, um, they they made a decision that I would dis- dispute quite heavily later on, and we will, as I said, hear from Yves Guimau, the CEO himself. When he talks about this business, Ubisoft started venturing out into movies and films, uh, cooperating with major Hollywood studios to release, for example, Assassin's Creed, the movie, a major turd, and a prime example why it is better to make video games out of movies than to emulate video games uh, to make a movie. But we will address that later on. In 2012, the company launched Uplay, its very successful distribution service, also a major topic that we will address here today because other than than their main competitors, Ubisoft maintains a major distribution network around the world that they own and operate themselves, even though most of the distribution is already done digitally, for example, via Uplay. All right, what else? Um, sure, they made, they made more acquisitions over the years. Um, I guess something that is quite relevant which was done uh, in, in 2019 and 20. They acquired i3dnet, which is a game hosting service that very much complements Ubisoft's esports activities. We will address that. And then uh, last year and this year, they also made a couple of major acquisitions to broaden their mobile gaming base. They acquired majority stakes, for example, in Green Panda Games and Colibri Games. Today, the company, I, I briefly... Um, mentioned that already, is a little bit different from, from the main competitors in the sense that they are not just operating different labels who um, develop, publish, and market video games, but they actually they have a lot of studios around the world that just do the video game development and production. Then they have this major distribution setup. They have a, a couple of labels that handle the mobile gaming business. They have these game hosting services, uh, SmartDC, i3Dnet. I, I mentioned i3Dnet before. And they have these other businesses, uh, Hybrid and, and Ubisoft Movie Studios, where they actually try to, let's say, expand the universe of their franchises into, into films. The five Gumu brothers, they still run the company, as I said. Yves Gumu is the CEO. Then they have Claude, Michel, Gérard, Christian... They all, uh, you know, take care of different parts of the business, but overall, 
quite a large share they hold in the company, and they are still responsible for the business. Among the major franchises and games that Ubisoft publishes are the well-known Assassin's Creed series. Uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla is just about to be released uh, in the next few days. Then they have, it, as, I, as I said, the Tom Clancy's gaming franchises, including The Division, Ghost Recon, and above all, Rainbow Six Siege, which is a major esports title today with a player base of, I think, 60 to 65 registered, million registered users already. Uh, they are also uh, owning the IPs to For Honor, Far Cry, Watch Dogs is a major thing, just released Watch Dogs Legion as a follow-up, I think, to Watch Dogs 2. Then there's the racing game The Crew, and there are a couple of mobile and more casual games like, like Just Dance, uh, Rocksmith, Grotopia, Idol, Miner, Tycoon, etc., etc. If you download the report on Ubisoft that we have on our website, uh, you can see a nice little overview about the major games and franchises that they own. Good, let's start with analyzing their financials, starting with revenue and revenue streams. Um, just a brief disclaimer, the numbers that I mention here, unless clearly stated otherwise, are in euros. So if you're more familiar with US dollars, then you just need to do the calculation in your head. I guess a good indication is that you take whatever number I tell you, for example, 1.6 billion, and you multiply that by 1.16 or maybe 1.2. Um, shouldn't be too difficult. All right, Ubisoft, uh, a company that will apparently have a record year this year. Their financial year runs from April 1st to March 31st. So when their financial year 2021 ends uh, in March next year, they will very likely record record revenues in excess of uh, 2 billion euros, which which is, you know, in terms of revenue size, still way below its main competitors. For example, Take-Two Interactive has $3.1 billion in revenues. Um, if Ubisoft manages to, to break this 2 billion barrier, they will be in the range of, of 2.4 billion US dollars, maybe, uh, maybe, you know, Perhaps we'll we'll see where it goes, but they are a little bit behind in terms of, of revenue size, which you know interestingly um, counters the setup that they that they run. Uh, if you look at the number of employees that Ubisoft has, they have roughly eighteen thousand worldwide, compared to to nine thousand for both EA and Activision Blizzard, and only a little over five thousand for Take Two Interactive. So while Ubisoft has a lot of value creation in house and major setups around the world with lots of employees, they are comparatively small when matching them up against their competitors. How does Ubisoft make money and how well do they do this? So Ubisoft, uh, one of the major video game developers and publishers, they have production studios around the world, they sell video games, and they obviously also make money from what, what can be called recurring consumer spending in games. So for example, if you're playing a game and you do microtransactions, uh, you want to you wanna buy cosmetics for the for your characters, or uh, you want to buy a virtual currency, you want to buy add-on content, all of that is done in-game usually, and Ubisoft is actually doing quite well on that side. Revenues about 10 years ago were, were roughly over a billion euros, and you can actually see steady growth with a typical volatile development the video game publishers have or most of them have, because this is very much a business that is built on, on releasing best-selling games and maintaining a, a major share in certain genres for, for each of these games. 
And Ubisoft managed to do that quite well. As I said, roughly a billion euros in revenue in 2011. It grew to uh, 1.4, 1.5 billion in 2015. Went down a little bit, but you can actually see consecutive growth all the way up to, to 2019. And then uh, in their last financial year, they saw a drop in revenues from 1.9 billion the years before to 1.6 billion. Two reasons for that. First reason is that... Uh, the Ghost Recon Breakpoint game that they released, a AAA title, did not perform as expected. So they were very much uh, disappointed by that. An underwhelming release with underwhelming revenues. And then again, maybe because of this or just because they wanted to give their, their, their people more time to develop, they postponed the release of, of some of their major titles, uh, namely Rainbow Six Quarantine, and Watch Dogs Legion. Watch Dogs Legion just came out, out. Rainbow Six Quarantine hasn't come out yet. Uh, perhaps also needs to be rebranded considering this entire COVID corona situation. So we see some volatility, but we also see a general upwards trend. Uh, perhaps not the growth rates that you, you might expect in a market that, that grows double digits. Ubisoft managed uh, roughly 9% average annual growth between 2011 and 2015. And since then, it has slowed a little bit to roughly 5%. Well, if, if with this year, they actually managed to break the 2 billion barrier, maybe even go all the way up to 2.5 billion euros, uh, then, of course, that is a different story. And with the major releases they have this year and with people sheltering in place, sheltering at home, because of COVID, um, that is actually quite possible. But let's 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 look at their forecast in a bit. For now, just maybe two additional information on their revenue streams. As is typical for the industry, distribution channels have shifted quite a lot. You look back five years, uh, almost seventy percent of their revenue still came from physical distribution, physical retail licenses. Uh, today, that dropped down to fifteen percent. The rest, eighty-five percent, is digital distribution which you know leads to a very simple question if that is the case if you if you distribute most of your your content digitally and uh, you know 85% of your revenue is coming through these channels why do you maintain a worldwide physical distribution setup it doesn't appear to make a lot of sense ubisoft games most revenue still generated uh, through the console platform uh, roughly 75% in the last financial year, but we will see, of course, PC, cloud, mobile gaining in significance over time. Perhaps not right away because the new generation console, uh, the new console generation with the PS5, the Xbox X series, I think it's called the Xbox Series X, sorry, will, will certainly disturb the trend a little, making consoles continue to stay quite relevant, but over time, I guess it's fair to say that this will fade out. Okay, with uh, annual revenues growing five to six percent year over year, let, let's let's look at how they perform on the bottom line. Uh, EBITDA and EBIT margins are fairly high. If you look at the EBITDA margins, so before depreciation and amortization, and I guess it's, it's relevant to say that usually what these companies do is, as they develop major franchises, they they capitalize a certain portion of their software development costs, and when the game is then released. It is, it is being pushed through to the PNL. Um, usually you would expect this to be cost of revenues, but it appears that under IFRS it could also be below the EBITDA, which is why in this case we will look at both. So if you look at the EBITDA margin, uh, you're talking um, 
over the past five years, 43%, 45%, 44%, so quite high. Then a little downward trend starts all the way to 40, 35 now in financial year 2020. And the EBIT margin uh, corresponds around 10 to 13% before uh, financial year 19, and then it went down to roughly 8.6%. And in the last year, in financial year 20, when they had these had this 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 poor uh, Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon breakpoint release, and they had to postpone Rainbow Six Quarantine and Watchdog Legions, or more likely, they decided to postpone. EBIT margin and uh, consequently also the net income margin and all the all the um, net income based metrics, they actually went negative. They incurred a loss, uh, which is uh, something that, that we haven't seen in quite a while for Ubisoft. But I guess it, it can happen, and it just underscores how volatile this business can be and how you know one poor release and maybe postponing one or two other releases can actually hurt you financially, at least in this particular year. Which, of course, does not mean that the overall trend is somehow in danger. What else can we say? The balance sheet, uh, looking there, is is more or less okay. I would say they have a little, or they had a little over one billion in cash against the three point six billion total asset base. So let's say a little less than a third is is cash reserves, which is strong, which is okay. There isn't too much goodwill on the balance sheet, so there's no real threat to have to write off major portions of this and thereby hurting the equity position. I don't see this happening uh, in any in any realistic way. Intangible assets are quite high. Reason here also, if you look at the financial year 2020 and balance sheet, what you will see is an increase in intangible assets, and, and that is what I've mentioned before. As they postpone the releases of major games, the capitalized software development costs remain on the balance sheet and will be offset later. So uh, I would I would say that this is probably just um, an intermediary increase. It will come down again once uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla and now Watch Dogs Legion has already been released. So once that is done, you will see intangible assets coming down again. On the liability side, they have short-term and long-term debt, which even, you know, is is, is a little bit higher than, than their total equity. We're talking about $1.4 billion in financial debt compared to roughly $1.3 billion equity. The debt is mostly bonds. Um, one of them, I think, is a convertible bond or has a convertible provision attached to it. It doesn't really have a coupon or a 0% coupon. Overall, um, compared to its competitors, again, there is a little bit less breathing room here for Ubisoft, so they they are not as strong financially than than some of their competitors, and they're also they don't really have the size yet. But I guess if this year works out fine, and maybe they they have one or two financial good great financial years in a row, they can return to this forty to forty five percent EBITDA margin profitability again. I guess then you will see this entire picture change. You will see them pay down the debt, increase their equity, increase their cash reserves again. So while while it's not the strongest sheet in the in the industry, it's certainly not a balance sheet to to significantly worry about. Good. For every company, we do what we call a selective dive. Uh, you may remember if, if you listened to the first episode for Take Two, we looked a little bit at the seasonality of the video game industry, where major releases and at the holiday season have a great impact on a quarter-to-quarter -quarter basis. For Ubisoft, we, we look at something else. Uh, we look at their, well, let's call it expectation management. Um, as an investor, it's interesting to see how how the management sees the future, whether that is what is happening in the next quarter, the next year, or in particular, long time. 
At the end of every year when they publish their annual report, Ubisoft provides you with an outlook for the next year and perhaps even the next two years. And every time they do this, um, in the past, they have either exaggerated um, the, uh, this outlook and said, okay, next year we will have, for example, 2.1 billion in revenues, and then they fail to deliver. And this failure to deliver or to, to meet the own outlook that they have, even though they updated quarter to quarter what I did, I looked back at the end of, of a financial year projection for the next year, and then I compared that to the actuals. So if you do that and you go back to, let's say, financial year 17, 18, 19, 20, every time the management gave you a full year outlook, they failed to deliver um, actual results that back that up. For example, case in point, financial year 17, they told you at the at the end of financial year 16, next year we expect 1.7 billion euros in revenue. What they delivered was 1.46 billion. The year after, they said 2.1 billion, they delivered 1.7. Then again, 2 billion, 1.84. Uh, and then in, in 2020, where it was particularly bad because of Ghost Recon Breakpoint, because of the po of postponing Watchdog Legions and Rainbow Six, they predicted 2.2 billion at the beginning of that financial year, and then they delivered 1.6. So you can actually see the management making predictions and then failing to deliver um, the average historic miss rate. Let's call it like that. Over these four years, is, is roughly 17%. So if we now take their current outlook for this corona-plagued um, shelter-at-home financial year with major title releases like Assassin's Creed Valhalla and Watch Dogs Legions. You would expect revenues to be to be significantly high, and I would say yes, two billion is probably realistic. Management is projecting two point five billion. They did this at the beginning of the year before, or when when, when they already knew. Okay, Corona is here. Um, if you apply the average historic miss rate of their forecast, you would you would get to two to two point one billion, which is still good, which is still a, a major increase over over last year's results, but still you. you as an investor, you want you want management to know what it's doing. You want to have a reliable outlook on the business. I cannot really say that Ubisoft has managed to do that, whether that is poor judgment or actually just, you know, it happens. And as an investor, you, you perhaps also <laughs> become to or, or start to expect this to happen. So you lower the, the outlook already in your head or on paper because you say, well, they're always quite optimistic about what's happening. Um, I personally think that this is a weakness that, that needs to be addressed. And when we talk about what I like about the company, what I think should should be looked uh, more closely at, we will we will come to that point one more time. So as I said, forecast for this year, if, if you look, uh, they're 8.5% up. Um, as, as as two quarters have passed compared to financial year 2020, they they, they confirmed their 2.5 billion projection uh, during the earnings call. But if you take then their Q3 outlook um, and, and you, you make a little gap analysis and you say, okay, how much revenue would they actually need in, in their Q4, which is January to March next year, um, you will see that they need over 800 million in revenues, which is which is okay. I guess they, they could deliver that. They have never done that in the past. That's basically doubling their their revenues from from last year's fourth quarter. That's more than twenty five percent above Q Q four of financial year nineteen. So my guess is the two point five billion revenue projection. They will miss it one more time. So expectation management for this company does not deserve an A, but rather a D to D minus.
Looking at the key metrics sheet for Ubisoft, financially, as I mentioned, not as strong as some of their main competitors, but still plenty good. Uh, EBITDA margin is terrific. Financial year 2020 wasn't so good, but I guess we will see that with, with maybe stricter cost controls or just a better overall release performance, that is, that is, that is certainly not a long-term problem. Liquidity, still good. The company has cash reserves. The cash conversion is good. Um, in most years, the company passes the asset test. I don't see any major write-offs threatening their equity position. There is this there is this long-term debt that is basically weighing them down a little bit. So uh, there isn't as much breathing room for Ubisoft than, than perhaps for some of the other companies. But I would say one, perhaps two good financial years should should shift that picture quite dramatically. And while they, they don't have a lot of room for their own, for making additional acquisitions themselves, I would never rule out that Ubisoft um, remains an acquisition target. Uh, as we will see, they, they, they defended two takeover attempts in the past, one in 2004 by Electronic Arts and one in 2018 by Vivendi. So there is a general sense by, by the, of the family. We want to stay somewhat independent. We have a good relationship with our anchor investors, but we don't want to be taken over by one of these major corporations or competitors. Whether this is something that they can actually maintain long-term will have to be seen. On the, on the, on the multiple side, the price to X multiples for the stock value, uh, no, no real red flags here. I guess they can still grow a little bit in, into their current valuation. But if the profitability recovers, I don't see anything that, that really uh, concerns me in terms of key metrics and in terms of long-term outlook. Okay, next up, Ubisoft. What do I like about the company? What, I, what, what do I think should be addressed? I, I think headline here is they have all the right ingredients, uh, but there is some work to be done. Uh, what do I like about Ubisoft? First, I like the mentality in, in general. I mean, if you listen to Yves Guimau giving interviews, you can actually see he's a very timid, very, very gentle soul, apparently. Um, the company is, is still very much controlled by the founding family. As I said, they still occupy the key management positions. They still own nearly 19% of the company. They don't pay themselves massive salaries. You have you have the feeling that it's always okay. The company comes first. If we need more time to develop a major game, we will give our people that time. We don't look at short-term financial results. We look at the long-term view, the long-term outlook. That, that that may be frustrating to investors who don't have the patience, perhaps. But at the same time, it's very much in line with my own thinking that if if the long-term trend is stable and if they if they can can remain financially solid, uh, I guess this attitudes toward the long-term perspective is simply great. Next, uh, obviously, the IP ownership they have. They own the rights to Assassin's Creed, to Tom Clancy's, to Watch Dogs. They have a lot of very popular franchises. They have full control over this, uh, in particular, Assassin's Creed and Rainbow Six Siege, which, which is a very strong esports title already, have super strong appeal, um, they, they still have a lot of stories to cover here. So for the foreseeable future, I would say IP ownership is one of their strengths. As is their approach to open world. Um, I, I can see a lot of people criticizing that perhaps Ubisoft is too much focusing on the open world genre with Watch Dogs, with, with Assassin's Creed. But I think it's actually a strength because together with, with perhaps Take-Two Interactive, they really own this, this type of, of, of game. Uh, a gameplay and it gives the player what whatever whatever it wants. Uh, you can you, you can be flexible. You can do whatever you like. There's there's plenty to discover. There's uh, 
a lot of challenges. Usually there's a strong story mode behind this. So as a gamer, I would say, sure, uh, give me give me this. Give me flexibility. Give me room to navigate. Uh, I want to decide what I want to do in-game. And open-world concepts allow for, for exactly that. So I would say this is one of their strong suits as well. Uh, I already mentioned Rainbow Six Siege. 65 million registered users already. It's, it's truly... Uh, and literally a killer esports title. It's by far outshining user numbers of, for example, Counter-Strike or similar games. The game is solid. The, the, the fan engagement is great. It's fun to watch. So as esports will grow, Ubisoft can really truly benefit from this. What, of course, needs to happen is that, that the esports teams themselves become profitable also, because currently they're still very dependent on, on additional investor money. If, if they can be self-sustainable uh, in their business uh, through advertising money, through sponsorship money, etc., then this this will simply continue to grow. And Ubisoft is already in a prime position, in particular ever since they, they acquired i3DNet. They have their own game hosting services, so they can really fully leverage the technology and the appeal of esports. Um, also, what I like, cloud gaming uh, is around the corner, perhaps you know, not, not replacing consoles now because we have the next console generation. But Ubisoft has always been among the very first companies to embrace these new possibilities to publish their games, release their games on other platforms. Uh, they're cooperating with Stadia. They, they already mentioned that they want to, to release games on Amazon Luna as well. So the company is embracing this, and I, I believe this will simply simply pay off. What do I think should be addressed? I said that I think the mentality of the company and of the management is a strength, but I also think that this holds them back somehow. I mean, the Guimu family, they have done an outstanding job building this. What I'm wondering is, if you want to really take Ubisoft to the next level, do they have the right mindset? Is their approach the right one? I mean, they, they regularly miss these, 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 these annual outlooks. I already mentioned that. Um, they have this focus on very deep internal value creation with all their, their distribution networks around the world. So sometimes I wonder, why not bring in some very talented outside managers who take a, a look at this company and say, okay, there's actually room for optimization here. If we change certain things, this company could even be better, um, could, could maybe uh, leverage additional resources to put into game development, to put into building new additional franchises and expanding on the video content development side rather than maintaining a setup that is just expensive and not not delivering any money. Um, because the distribution segment, which is, um, I'd like to address this in some more detail, Ubisoft is one of the few major publishers still owning and running uh, its own distribution. Um, but given the increased importance, I said that before, of the digital distribution side, which is already contributing uh, more than 85% to Ubisoft's total revenues, uh, there is really no reason to maintain this larger setup. Then there's cloud gaming is around the corner. So you have Uplay, which has been working fine. Plus, the entire distribution segment is losing money. So why would you continue keeping this under your belt? It certainly hurts the financial strength, uh, which I would uh, like to see addressed as well. As I said, compared to its competitors, not that strong financially. Uh, more long-term debt here, some issues with profitability in the past few years. All of that can change if the next console generation gives them a boost, if Assassin's Creed Valhalla and Watch Dogs Legions 
are well received. And I guess reviews from critics was was mostly positive so far. They have a good financial year 2021, maybe 2022. Then all of that can change automatically. But right now, they're more an acquisition target than someone who can actually manage to acquire major studios in the future. And then the movie business. Ah, this really hurts. Um, I want to give Yves Guimau a chance to to talk about how he sees this. So why don't we listen in to what he has to say before I share my opinion. Actually, um, what we are looking at first is doing the best games uh, on Earth. So that, that's really our main focus. After that, um, if some characters, some uh, universes that we create can have a uh, another life, um, then we go for it. But uh, the, the strategy is really to make sure we first create the best games possible. What what we what the way we do it is we create a scenario, we we look at the cast, and then we go to a studio, because we we want the um, the characters, we want the, the the story to be really linked with what we we created in the games, and so that's the the, the way we we act and then with the studio we rework uh, but we rework for something that fits with the our creation team so much for Yves Guimau thank you and you can you can hear from his voice He's, he seems to be a very gentle very timid guy I like uh, listening to him particularly with that French accent he's not as as brusque or as uh, well showmanship like 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 some of the others that you will see on stage uh, from the major publishers. Anyway, the movie business. I didn't like the Assassin's Creed movie. Um, I know that Netflix is currently working on an Assassin's Creed series for their streaming service. Uh, I, maybe there will be a Splinter Cell film from the Tom Clancy series at one point. I personally don't don't need that. You don't need to emulate movies from video games. That that just um, it's all good and well, um, but. And, and, and perhaps there is a similarity between the risk profiles of producing and developing video games and movies. So you think that, hey, we have creative teams, we can actually do this. If we pair up with these major Hollywood studios, we can get it done. Um, but turning films into games hasn't been quite as successful in the past for, for you know, the companies who've, who've tried that. I know that the Call of Duty uh, movie is coming also from from activision but still uh, i don't need that i think if you want to collect licensing fees on this please do make sure that your your franchises aren't being hurt by 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 terrible films and series but stay out of this this is not what you should focus on he said it himself we want to make great games well then make great games and stop stop venturing into the movie business and, and wasting money on that money that you currently compared to other companies in the field don't really have. Good. Before we go to the stock of Ubisoft um, and, and the long-term investment outlook for this company, um, size and market cap make Ubisoft an acquisition target. It has been in the past. It has been tried in the past. So far, they have defended against it. But what is the outlook for the company? Well, I guess we can expect that esports and, and hosting these these esports tournaments and leagues. Uh, will be continue to be a major focus. It's already big. The viewership uh, will certainly continue to increase. The sponsorship and advertising money coming in will continue to rise. And if you own a league, if you sell franchise spots, if it can really be a, 
a wonderful, wonderful business. They have invested in the technology. Perhaps there are some additional esports titles that they can bring in, in particular if they manage to acquire one or two of these that have the appeal. Uh, mobile esports is also something that you can always, always look into. So uh, yeah, I would say they're already very, very well positioned. Let's hope that the esports teams can also turn profitability in the future. And if so, then I guess uh, it's it's Ubisoft's uh, game to lose. The second outlook that I would like to provide is the whole mobile segment that they have. They have uh, Ubisoft Oli and Colibri Games, Green Panda, uh, FGOL, the 1492 Studio. So they have a lot of great development studios for their their mobile games. Um, some of these games have already recorded more than 100 million downloads, so I guess Ubisoft is already nicely positioned in the field. You can always talk about bringing your major console and PC franchises to mobile, in particular now with, with 5G technology coming out, uh, which, should, which should enrich the mobile experience. Um, so yeah, there's still a lot to do. Um, casual, free-to-play games, it, it's sometimes difficult to, to keep them alive very long, as, as life cycles should you know, uh, extend. It's, it's not always easy to do this, but Ubisoft is, is greatly positioned. I will just expect them to develop and publish, develop and publish, see what sticks, and, and thereby the mobile uh, component of their business should increase. And then uh, these two are not outlooks, but rather hopes for the future. As I said, please get rid of the, of the loss-making distribution segment that you have. You have Uplay, you don't need the physical distribution presence. It's just not necessary, and and it will certainly not gain in significance in the next, uh, in the future. Quite the opposite. And then, as I said, they should exit the movie business. They should should try someone to, to license uh, selectively license um, IPs to uh, rights of use too, so that they can then make make films. But Ubisoft does not have to be a part of financing these games. Um, you know, so so why not why not exit the business entirely? Sell it to Disney, sell it to whomever. Um, we will see. As, as to whether they are still an acquisition target, as I said, yes, I believe they are. Whether they will ever uh, want to sell the company or the majority in the company is a different discussion. We will talk about Disney at one point here on this podcast, and my my strong view is that Disney should stop licensing uh, the Star Wars franchise and others to EA, for example but they should actually move into the video game business themselves by making a major acquisition. Ubisoft might be a great fit, but we will see what happens. For now, um, I would say, you know, as long as the hits keep coming and, and, and the Guimo family doesn't really control the, the selling process, they will always try to defend against this. To conclude our analysis of Ubisoft, the stock. Uh, it's trading at the Paris Stock Exchange. If you look at the development since uh, since the early 2000 since early 2015 you have the general gaming hype uh, there is a substantial market expansion there is a lot of innovation and now with corona covid um, it certainly has helped the stocks of major developers um, increase in value that also goes for ubisoft actually if you look at the development compared to take to interactive activision ea ubisoft is doing quite well um, on a year to year on year, you know, appreciation basis, it, it's been more than thirty percent average year over year over the past few years, which is which is strong proof that the company is doing well, that they're operating in a business that is quite promising. 
current market cap, they're trading at roughly 74 euros as I record this, is 9 billion um, euros. So now the question is, is this overvalued? Is this fairly valued? What do I think? I understand that some people think that gaming stocks in general are overvalued. They see a bubble here, um, but I think there are a lot of good arguments against this. First, for the market outlook itself. Gaming was you know, growing before COVID. COVID has certainly accelerated this. We have seen double-digit growth rates. Um, Nuzu is projecting that, that the market will soon be $200 billion a year. And I simply say that's massive. So from a, from a simple market outlook and opportunity perspective, I don't see why the stock should be considered overvalued. Um, second, mm, Ubisoft is, is still a well-run company. They own very good IPs. And if they manage to, to be successful operationally and financially, uh, invest, investors will reward this. Um, and they should just you know continue to meet expectations. There's still a lot of untapped potential, which is third. There is still plenty of room for growth and innovation. We will see 5G pushing mobile games. Uh, we will see over time cloud gaming becoming stronger as the next generation consoles fade out in five to 10 years or whatever. Um, VR is already a format that I think has lots of potential. If, if, you, if you try one of these early VR games, you can see how much potential is in there, that the experience is actually quite nice. This will also be supported by 5G, of course. And if you, if you, if you then pair the VR experience with the open world genre that, that, that Ubisoft owns, basically, uh, which they're so, so famous for, there's just endless opportunity to come, and I, I think that this is actually quite nice. So um, looking at all of this, looking at the market outlook, looking at the innovation that's coming, looking at how, how, how well some of these companies are being run, how could you possibly doubt that the long-term outlook for these companies is, is promising? Um, which brings me back to this whole overvaluation question. If you ask me, stock is currently trading at 74 I can I can see it at uh, 100 euros per share before I can see it go down all the way to 50. So my my outlook is there is a little bit of downside maybe short term but the upside is much stronger um because the opportunity clearly outweighs the downside risk in this business. Terrific. This concludes episode number two of I Do The Numbers. Again, thank you for listening. I thought that you, you received some, some helpful insights into Ubisoft. Once again, go to idothenumbers.com, navigate to the reports section, click on the link for Ubisoft, and you will receive or you will find a free uh, summary report in PDF format, 10 to 15 pages. Use it to complement your research, then make up your mind. Clearly, I'm not responsible for what you do with your money. If you decide to invest into Ubisoft, that's, that's entirely up to you. And perhaps our research and our analysis here helps you to make that decision. Um, great. That's it from me from this week. Next week, we will continue. We will look at, uh, at Activision Blizzard, the third company from the video game industry that we will cover. Stay healthy. Uh, all the best to you and your families. And, well, Kevin, what do you say? You wanna, what do you want to do? You want to paint your house? You mentioned that before. You want to paint your house? I just want to lie on the beach and eat hot dogs. That's all I've ever wanted.